This episode contains graphic descriptions of violence. Please be advised. Talk to any police officer from New York's 75th Precinct in East New York, Brooklyn, retired or on the job. Chances are you'll hear this. There was a saying in the 75, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen here. Everything happens in the 75. It either starts there or ends there. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions, and you're listening to Breaking the Case, a true crime podcast written and produced by the New York City Police Department and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. In the previous episode, after four years of silence, the New York Zodiac strikes again. Then, Zodiac goes quiet. Until one day, the unthinkable happens. And yes, it all went down in East New York, Brooklyn. This is the New York Zodiac Copycat, Episode 4, East New York Chaos, coming up after the break. I was police officer Dale Schultz, and I was assigned to uh, CPOP, which is a community policing unit, and I was on a bike from 1991 to 1997 in the 7-5 precinct in East New York. That's retired detective Dale Schultz. He spent the last 21 years of his career in the emergency service unit, but he spent his first six years on the job in East New York, Brooklyn. It worked out really good being on the bike. So I wasn't just walking. I could get places faster. I could also turn corners faster and seeing active crimes going down. As a rookie cop, there was no place he'd rather be than East New York. You had to become street smart. You had to learn how to talk to people. If you didn't have that mentality about you as a cop working in East New York, they'd eat you up. You know, street guys knew, they knew that you were new. It was always a test in the beginning. Schultz earned his street smarts soon enough. In one day, I would handle 30 radio runs of all different kinds of aspects of the job. Missings, rape, burglary, robbery, shots fired. Three years in the 7-5? I'm a seasoned cop. I mean, seasoned. On June 18th, 1996, Schultz began his tour at noon. It was a hot, sunny afternoon. I got on my bike, I got everything, and I headed out to my post. His community policing post was on Pitkin Avenue and Crescent Street. I was just sitting there hanging out. I was talking to a couple of the cabbies. I knew them all, so I was just standing in the cab stand, and, and the call came over. 75 Adams. And the call comes over that there's a girl, and she shot... I hear the address and I'm like, well, I didn't hear any gunshots. I'm right here. I'm about 50 feet away. I said, okay, I'll pick up the job. Schultz's radio ID is B17. Okay, I'm B-17. Just wait for the backup over there. Yeah, five out of them are going to back. Okay, we're good to Okay, apartment is number nine on the third floor. And I was asking Central, Central, is she shot in the back? Is she shot in the back of the apartment? You know, what, what's going on? Call them back and find out how he got shot and where he got shot. B-17, are you 84? 84 is code for on the scene. And she got mad at me. Will you wait for backup? I said, yeah, but I can't because someone's shot and I'm pretty much here. 
So give me the information. I'm standing there in front of the building waiting for info. And she says, hold on, she's shot in the back. And at that time, I saw EMS pull up with the, with the ambulance. I don't know if they were going to another job in that building or they responded to that, but they, you know, they got out and they took the, their stretcher and they went in the building. The priest is so big that you're waiting for cars to come. 2730 Pitkin Avenue is a three-story building with nine apartments. It's U-shaped with a narrow courtyard that faces Pitkin Avenue. Schultz enters the courtyard and looks up towards the third floor. The window opens. He sees three plants on the windowsill and a man peering out. And he looks down and he goes, what do you want? I said, someone shot in there? And he said, nothing. And he reached out the window and he shot at me like three or four times. I had a little concrete pillar that I could get behind. Taking in Euclid's got five units, any description? Once he, he went back in, I had my gun out and he came back out and he shot a couple more times. I returned fire. I shot six rounds back at him, putting him back in the window. On the street, civilians, including children who had been out playing, are screaming and running for cover. Some go around the corner and others duck inside the Euclid Avenue subway station. So I'm still there because I'm not going to move because I know that pillar's protecting me. Police officer Suzanne Johnson was one of the first to respond to the scene after Schultz. Shots fired came over the radio by Dale Schultz and responded. When she got to the front of the building, Schultz told us someone was shooting from the window. I turned back to Dale to ask him which one, and that's when he started shooting again, and we got behind a brick wall. He comes back to the window. We exchanged gunfire again. As the two officers took cover, Shots ricocheted off the bricks and sprayed clouds of dust at them. When he was shooting at us, those bullets were coming rapidly, either from an automatic or a revolver. That's what I thought. I put over radio that you probably have a hostage situation. EMS is in the building. I don't know where they are. I hear all the commotion, I hear the sirens coming. So I'm like, okay, let me get my my bearings together. Back then we had uh, the 38 with only six six rounds in it. So I, I never thought in my life that I would ever, you know, be in a shootout or have to take that speed loader and try to put it back. When your hands are shaking, right? <laughs> Trying to put bullets on the gun, it's, it's hard. I told everybody to stay off Pickin Avenue because I knew Across the street, someone's yelling, I'm shot, I'm shot. So there was a civilian shot in the leg across the street. And all the cars that were coming to back me up were starting to pull up. The shooter was in apartment 10, shooting out of the window that faced the courtyard. From where he was standing, 
Schultz could also see a woman at the window of apartment 9, which faced Pitkin Avenue. This was the woman who had been shot, who called 911. Officer Schultz recognized her from the neighborhood. There was blood on the window. She was banging on the window, and she was pointing. And I said, I know. I can't, you know, like, I can't get to you. Just hold on. Just hold on. The woman is pointing across the courtyard towards apartment 10. She's signaling that her friend, who is not the shooter, is being held hostage in one of the bedrooms. So that was going on. Everybody's responding. The guys that were coming for my help went up the back fire escape. So he went to the back window now and shot down at them. The gunman was running between the front and back windows of the apartment. He had pinned down officers on either side of the building. Okay, in the rear, 1013 units in the rear of this chicken and five. The shooting intensifies. So I have EMS in the building. I have a girl shot upstairs, you know, and I knew her, you know, I knew her. It's East New York chaos. Taking a nuclear shot, five units, any description? Okay. Male Hispanic, white t-shirt. White t-shirt. What color pants did he have, B-17? And then I gave the description, male Hispanic white t-shirt and then central well you see the what color pants i said well, i don't know central he's shooting at me through <laughs> i can't see his pants and then issue and uh hostage negotiation came the emergency service unit took over some of the patrol officers went back to the precinct to regroup to them it was just another day in the seven five in fact, the very next day, police officer Suzanne Johnson responded to another hostage situation with a gunman. Joe Maltizo retired as a sergeant from the emergency service unit in 2001. He worked at a Truck 7 based in East New York. On any given day, Truck 7 responded to a steady stream of calls. A lot of shootings, crime scenes. He was on duty on June 18th, 1996. This was just another one of those uh, jobs where uh, officers needed assistance and we were there to help them out. The call came at around 12.15 p.m. Fairly quiet day and towards the end of the shift, we got a call. Officers need assistance, shots fired. So we jumped in the truck. When we got there, we got our heavy weapons. We found a couple of officers covering behind a, a car and they pointed up to the window and said, it's, you know, he's firing from up there and he had fired a couple of shots at them. Once we got there, we relieved the uh, officers at the car and I told my Adam car, get inside and isolate and contain this guy in this apartment because we couldn't have him wandering throughout the building. So if he made it up to the roof, he had full access to the whole building and could have gotten out. Told the officers, go ahead and move in, tie off the door, contain him inside, and I'll cover the window for you. So that's what they did. In the meantime, as they're going in, I'm spotting the window. And if he had come to the window, I would have had to uh, protect my officers and I would have had a fire up at the window, but I didn't have to. Luckily, he didn't pop his head out the window at that time. The ESU team had made its way to the woman in apartment nine. 
They brought her downstairs so she could be treated by the paramedics who had taken refuge in an apartment on the first floor. But the hostage in apartment 10 was still at the mercy of the shooter. We saw in the adjoining window to where he had popped his head out, there was a guy in the window and he's waving to us frantically to let us know that he's in there. There was a new hostage negotiator on the team that day, Detective Sergeant Joe Herbert, the former boss of the 7-5 squad and former member of the 2nd Zodiac Task Force. I had just become a hostage negotiator and it's my first hostage job. After I left the task force, I was a sergeant. I had been transferred to the Brooklyn North Homicide Squad. On June 18, 1996, I got a phone call. There was a hostage situation on Pickett Avenue in Euclid, and an individual had shot his sister, and he engaged police officers that were responding to that shooting in a major shootout. He had the sister's boyfriend held hostage in the back bedroom of the apartment. I raced to the scene. I get there, and the whole area, for like four blocks, is totally cordoned off. They positioned me with a ceramic bulletproof vest. I'm wearing my hostage negotiation jacket, and they provide me with a helmet. It's about 100 degrees. I am dripping wet trying to get this thing going. The immediate area was secured. They had established an um, outside perimeter. We established an inside perimeter. We had snipers on the roof across the street uh, watching that window. Joe Herbert was sent to the front of the building behind a bulletproof barrier. I'm standing behind the police barrier. Speaking to him through the bullhorn, I'm saying, Eddie, they had told me that his name was Eddie. Eddie, talk to me. Enough blood has been shed. Let's get everybody out of the apartment. And he's not really responding to me verbally. What he would do, he would come to the window occasionally, and he would point a rifle, what it was, was a long zip gun. ESU evacuates the occupants from the building. At some point, EMS takes the injured woman out and gets her to the hospital. Joe Herbert and the rest of the hostage negotiation team climb in a first floor window out of the gunman's view. When they get to the third floor, they position the bulletproof barrier outside of the entrance to apartment 10. We had a team out on that landing. We had moved the precinct guys up above and below that landing and we secured the landing. From the roof of the building, one member of the hostage negotiation team lowered a phone to the hostage. He was told to remain calm and stay quiet. I'm there with Kenny Bowen, who I previously worked with on the Zodiac Task Force. He was also a hostage negotiator, and he was my coach that day. So I was the primary negotiator, and Kenny was my coach. And I'm talking to Eddie through the door about three hours. Again, it's 100 degrees out. I have uh, several emergency service police officers with heavy weapons behind me. Finally, after a while, I'm telling him, Eddie, your sister's going to be okay. She's not dying. She got wounded in the rear end. She's going to be okay. Enough blood has been shed. Let's end this now. Finally, towards the end, he says, okay, okay, I'm going to surrender. I said, Eddie, before you surrender, you have to listen to the direction carefully, and then we'll surrender peacefully, and there'll be no accidental incidents of firearms discharge. So he says, I have a lot of guns in here. I have a lot of bullets in here. What should I do? So I, I turn to the emergency service guys, and they tell me, okay, we have an emergency service guy on our roof. He's going to lower a bucket down to... Eddie's window in the kitchen. We lowered that bucket so that he could put his firearms in there and they turned out to be a couple of zip guns. It wasn't just a couple. Eddie surrendered 13 homemade zip guns. They had to lower the bucket down three times between all his guns, all his pipes that he was gonna make for future, zip guns, bullets. So finally he says, okay, all my guns. We told him that we're at the door. When he comes to the door, he's gotta unlock it and then turn around and put his hands against the wall. And then when we open the door, we're, we're gonna cuff him. So he goes, okay, he says, before you come in though, do you want me to do anything with the bombs? 
So I, I'm saying, Eddie, you got bombs in there? He says, yeah, I have bombs in here. But everybody's like, you know, back behind the bulletproof barrier because uh, we, we didn't know what was going on inside the apartment if he was going to light the bomb off. The emergency service guys confer the bomb squad and they say, okay, we want him to surrender. We'll get him out of the apartment. We'll get the hostage out of the apartment. And then the bomb squad will go in and they'll deal with the bombs. They open up the door, Eddie's there with his hands in the air. I was the first one in, I put my cuffs on him, had him against the wall. And they hand him to me, and I escort him out the building. With that, I take him to a waiting car outside, and uh, he wanted me to go with him to the station house. I had developed a rapport with him. So I accompanied him to the 75 precinct, and I handed him off to Detective Danny Powers. The adrenaline rush was over, and now everyone was waiting. What was this guy's story? Detective Powers led the suspect to the interrogation room. His name was Heriberto Seda, also known as Eddie. Here's retired detective Danny Powers. Once I took him back to the precinct, he gave me the statement. Seda was cooperative and polite. Powers read him his rights. He was arrested on 15 counts of attempted murder for shooting at his sister and 14 police officers, and multiple counts of possession of deadly weapons and explosives. By 4.30 p.m., Seda wrote and signed his confession on a legal pad. In the morning, I get up from sleep, do this and that, and then my sister got a call from a male. He comes over. I'm getting angry. I do not like people that come to my apartment. He writes that he doesn't like his sister's friend. I'm getting more angry. My sister comes to my room. I had a gun in my hand, and I went to talk to the man in my house and fired the gun. Seda shoots his sister in the back. God help me. And on the bottom, he wrote a a symbol. Before he signs his name, he draws a symbol in the middle of the page. It's a cross with the number seven printed on the north, west, and east points. I asked him what that represented, and he said it's the sign of Jesus' pure love. And I asked him if it was sixes, what would it mean? And he said, that's Faust, that's the devil. Detective Danny Powers was well aware of the Zodiac case. I knew that there were zip guns involved, and I knew the letters were involved, and I know the Zodiac symbol was involved with the sixes. He started thinking, Seder had zip guns, the Zodiac had zip guns. Seder was talking about Jesus and Faust. The Zodiac was into the occult. Could this be the Zodiac? In his first confession, Seder made no mention of shooting cops, so Powers asked him to write the whole thing again. Seda obliged. This time, he didn't draw a symbol. At that point, I had an inclination of who he was, so I took that confession along with another detective. We sought out Lieutenant Herbert, who was still at the scene. 7-5 squad detective Tommy Marr, who is retired today, remembers the afternoon of June 18, 1996. I got into work at 4 o'clock. I was told to go out in the street. This hostage thing was wrapping up. So I'm on the street maybe about an hour. Two detectives come up to me, Mark Brooks and Danny Powers. And they say, Tommy, look at this. This guy just confessed. Look at this writing. Look at the little symbol he put there. Marr made the connection right away. I said, wow, that's interesting. Let's bring this to Joey Herbert, because Herbert was really involved in the writings and picking apart the symbols and everything. A judge had issued a search warrant for Seda's apartment, and Herbert had gone back to the scene to see what investigators came up with. He was overheated and exhausted from the hostage negotiation. When his colleagues arrived, he walked with them to Detective Powers' car and looked at the papers. The handwriting jumped right out at me. The S's, the T's, the M's, the L's. And then every time he underlined, and he had a habit of underlining both the letters that he sent to the post and 
in this particular confession letter, he did multiple underlinings. It's all triple underlining. And uh, it, it jumped out at me. So now I turn to the second page and I see the upside down cross with the sevens. I told Danny and Tommy Moore, and said, as sure as I'm standing here, this is the Zodiac. And then you start thinking, zip guns. He lives on Pickett Avenue in Euclid, less than half a mile from Highland Park and from the other comfort zone on Atlantic Avenue. So go back to the station house and I knew it was just the beginning of a lot of work. Suspicions are one thing. I mean, I, I recognize the handwriting, but I'm no handwriting expert. I knew I had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that uh, this was the Zodiac. In the next episode of Breaking the Case, investigators sit face-to-face -face with the man they believe is the Zodiac. I said, you're the Zodiac, and I've been looking for you for six years. The confession of Herberto Eddie Seda was read by Detective Michael Smirtek. Breaking the Case is written and produced by the New York City Police Department and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. Subscribe to Breaking the Case for a new episode every Tuesday in Season 3. If you like our show, please consider giving it five stars and recommending it to your friends. And follow the NYPD on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be safe.